listening to The Good Fight, where campus meets Christ. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, I just realized um, I recorded that intro a long time ago. Yeah, and I you just, did. I just thought about that. feels like forever ago. It, I mean, it hasn't been a year. It's been like it, it really hasn't. eight months. It hasn't been a long time, but it feels like a long time. You threw me off there. I know. I Sorry. I... Last time you interrupted my welcome, it was because... <laughs> Um, I, I took over your week and to be perfectly honest, Tim and I are very confused at this point and we don't know whose week it is to start. So do we, what if, uh, what if you never realized that we actually traded off between weeks? Now, you know, that was our whole plan that we ruined ourselves. I feel like you should just start every week now. Because why? Because I always have, my mind is always in other places. (laughs) It's just like. (laughs) Like thinking about how long ago it was that I recorded that intro. That did catch me off guard. I, I accept. I accept this role. Watch us forget that next week and you'll start. That'd be ironic. I also feel weird starting. I always say, because mine is all, it's always cut and, cut and dry. It's always greetings. That's what I say all the time. Versus my welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, you'll like add some variation to it. Hello. Variation, the spice of life. <laughs> so. Thank you. I'm honored to... Uh, except this role. So what are we talking about today, Tim? Oh, I was going to introduce you. This is Grace Alita. Oh, yes. Oh, and this is Timothy Kinnaman. And what last name, too. Oh, yes. And this is Tim. I just had to shorten, you know. I see. If you take the average. (laughs) The average. I don't know. Your name is like two names put together. So I feel like I deserve the full name. Well, if you do my whole name, all of a sudden I'm just getting (laughs) all the last names, too. That's a lot. That's too much. Okay. So what are we talking about today, Tim? We are talking about the sin of racism. Big issue in today's society. Yeah, it's coming up a lot for good reason. And so I guess the main questions that we're kind of going to be addressing today are what does the Bible say about race and racism? Um, Looking at racism as a sin. Mm -hmm. And then are we talking about that last one? Uh, We can talk about it. We can talk about it. Okay, sure. I hadn't planned to. I mean, I, I did a little looking at... I know, I know one of the arguments for the last, and the last topic is, is the Bible racist? So one of the arguments from back in the day when people were um, using the Bible to justify like slavery, mm-hmm. we'll get into that later, but I, I know one of them and I know the okay. counter argument. Perfect. So. so those are the, those are the questions that we're basically going to be focus on, focusing on. Um, I think we have a pretty interesting conversation ahead of us, a pretty good one. Um, are you prepared for it? Are you? You better be, because it's rhetorical. If you're not, you can pause it here. <laughs> Come back to us later. Yeah, so I think I think an interesting thing is kind of talking about race, race to begin with, right? Um, because there is, obviously there are differences between humans, right? We've already talked about gender. Um, that's a very like physically apparent one. Mm-hmm. Um, so is race some of the time, often the time. Um, and so you have these differences between humans. And... Um, Within, as well, as we're going to be talking about, but like as a result of sin, us humans are ridiculously good at trying to kind of present our own moral superiority. Um, And a lot of the ways that we decide to do that are through kind of taking those visible and apparent differences between groups of people and saying, ah, you're different than I am. Therefore, I am better than you are for X, Y, Z reason. You know, I'm realizing just now... I know we kind of had a different idea for how to structure this, but just to throw things off in the beginning here, 
I think I actually want to go towards the end of the... Oh, end and work back? Not necessarily all the way and work back. I just want to jump to the end and then we'll jump back to the beginning. Because I don't know, you didn't actually talk about us including this. So there's this um, article by Timothy Keller that we're pulling a lot off here. Because uh, Timothy Keller happens to know a lot more about the Bible than two of us combined. That is correct. <laughs> so it's from his, if you haven't already there, he has a book. Actually, it's a video series, I believe, called The Gospel in Life. But it has a, a attached workbook. And um, what he's also put together is a website with a compilation of resources that go alongside that video series. And so um, on that website, the gospel in life is a section on the sin of racism. Um, and so that's what we're, we're pulling pretty heavily from. Yeah. So I'm jumping to the end and then we'll, we'll go back to the beginning and run through all of his points. But he, he tackles this question, is racism only a modern sin? Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually a better place to begin is to actually think of what is race, what is racism, and compare it to what the Bible talks about. So yeah, let's do it. race, racism, what do we think that is? Versus something like ethnicity or cultural background. Well, I think, I don't, I mean, I'm not entirely sure where you're, you're going with that. It's a little hard to answer. Did you, um, did you read this section? No, I didn't read the section. Oh, okay. Well, I know where I'm going with it. So <laughs> it's all blindness to you. <laughs> it'll it, be revealed it'll, to me. It'll all be clear. Don't worry. So race, racism. Is, is it different from ethnicity? Is race different from Well, ethnicity? yes. So, um, I mean, in part... There's, to a certain extent, ethnicity has more of a... I don't know if this is factually correct, but in my mind, it has more to do with a location. Yes, geographic. Um, like, for example, my ethnicity is Hispanic, but Hispanic is not, like... It, that's not a race. Because my father's Mexican, but I'm, like, race-wise, I'm white. Ethnicity-wise, I am Hispanic. Yeah. The Hispanic part comes from location. The race part does not. Yes. So, ethnicity... I mean, a good way to think about it is a lot of the kind of racism, I'm doing air quotes, I know you can't see it, but racism mm -hmm. um, of the, of certain eras was more, it was really ethnic othering. So Right, like Irish. Irish, German, mm -hmm. looking, uh, you know, looking down on people of like European ethnicities or, you know, taking it to the the biblical age looking mm -hmm. down on gentiles right looking down on sumerians we've talked we talked about that last semester i think yes we did yeah yeah, yeah. samaritan um uh helper i thought we did yes we did the good samaritan thank you that's the word i don't know why <laughs> the samaritan was, helper well i was thinking i don't know if y'all ever watched the veggie tales version of it but he basically gets like I think I haven't watched it in so long, but I'm pretty sure he gets beaten up by, like, it's, it's it, like, shoes, something. Anyway, the VeggieTales version, is, that's literally what I, I could just see it, the cartoon in my head, and I couldn't separate it hmm. fast enough. That's good. Hashtag, I don't know, Christian child problems. <laughs> so the Bible, the Bible actually, interestingly, or not mm -hmm. interestingly, doesn't talk about race, because race is a kind of a modern phenomenon that really comes out of, I think, largely the African slave trade and the, the fact that you had classes of people based on race, right. you know, based on skin color. So that really creates this uh, heuristic, if you're familiar with that term, of race based on 
skin color. Mm -hmm. However, that isn't to mean that what the Bible says about ethnicity does not apply to race. Right. Because... I think the way Tim Keller presents it as racial othering, which I liked. Yeah, it's a good word. I liked the idea of... Like, basically despising those who are other, like, who are different than you. I thought that was a good way of framing it. The Bible is against any othering. Mm-hmm. Not just... I'm, I'm looking at a verse right now, so you're going to have to... Yeah, not just biblical... Not just race, racial othering. Um, but, like, we have, what, the ideas of tax collectors are often looked down upon pretty heavily in the New Testament. Um, they're often used as... Like, in the parable... Did we look at this parable last? Is it... I don't know where I read read this, but um, I'm trying to remember when we read it and what part of my life that was in. But there's a tax collector and a Pharisee who go in to pray, and the tax collector or the Pharisee is oh, like, yeah. I... ah, like thank God I'm not this tax like I'm not like this tax collector. That was actually like a thank God, like thank you God. Um, yeah, Luke... and then the ta- yeah, and then the yeah. tax collector is like, oh, I'm sinful and like the grace of God. That's yeah. my butchering. It's Luke eighteen. 9 through 11 and the tax collector or the pharisee says god i thank you that i am not like other people robbers evildoers adulterers or even like this tax collector so very much an othering Mm -hmm. um and that's you know that's based on profession for the tax collector it's based on kind of moral culpability yeah and that's something we'll talk about yeah, and I think that the important part here is is the response of Jesus. Jesus' mm-hmm. response after telling this parable. In contrast, the tax collector says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Jesus' reply, or like, I guess, expansion and teaching on the parable, is, um, I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this interesting, I guess, swap, if you will. Not swap, obviously, the Pharisees still... not. It's not because they are a Pharisee that they are right. another, right? Um, we have other examples in the Bible of Pharisees who do come to love and follow mm-hmm. Christ. But it, it, but we do see, in this case, kind of this using of tax collector robbers, evildoers, adulterers as less than, inherently less than, because of their role or their classification i don't know how you want to what the right word is yeah yeah there um, um, i don't like that word very much but primary identification yeah identification that's much better i also so in my bible reading this morning actually i'm I'm in leviticus right now and uh leviticus 19 verse 15 do not pervert justice do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly so again a sort of countering against othering here Mm -hmm. And this one happens to be economic, you know, yeah. don't economically other people. So, yeah, I think it's quite clear that racial othering is, it's no different from economic, from ethnic, from identity yeah. and I othering. Think, I think another great example is um, Acts 11. In obviously the New Testament, a huge transition is going from kind of being a predam- pre- predominantly Jewish movement. Mm-hmm. Um, to becoming a gen like a part of like yeah a gentile movement as well yeah um, christianity that is and the very beginning we see kind of jews refusing to eat with gentiles mm-hmm. um, and that was a very and we see this like all throughout the new testament this very clear separation because um because of an identity and i think that that's why i, I liked the term othering so much 
because it really I feel like it really encompasses the pushing away. And I think it's fair to say that any of these are kind of based on identity. Yeah. In a certain sense, you know, it's it's a classification about someone, about one characteristic of someone mm-hmm. that causes you to say this person is not like me. Yeah. That other so maybe maybe it'd be good now to talk about why the Bible, like why that's not yes. appropriate according to the Bible. Why, why is that bad? And I think we've been doing a lot of this, but going way back to Genesis. We talked about this when we went back when we talked about men and women. I love Genesis. Um, and I think that we can do the same thing here. It's the same principle of why, um, why are women of equal value, worth, and dignity as men. The same reason that why like any human has the same is equal in value, worth, and dignity. Um, and as we talked about before, it's because we're all made in the image of God. We mm-hmm. see that from Genesis 1. Literally, we are made in the image of God. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a very key foundation. And I think one of the, a good, maybe a good quote here um, from Tim Keller is he says, um, It is a sin to violate in thought, word, or deed the divine truth that all humans have equal dignity and worth as persons created in the image of God, referencing Genesis 1, 26 to 28. One of the many ways that truth can be violated is given in James 3, 9, where we are told that that to even curse a human being, to address them without respect, violates the image of God. When Jesus explains you shall not murder, he says if you treat someone with contempt, calling him or her raka or fool, you are violating the principle of the command and are in danger of the fire of hell. To modern ears, this seems excessive, but behind the sixth commandment is the doctrine of the image of God as expounded in James 3. It is a sin to treat any class or group unequally as being less worthy of respect, love, and protection. That is fire. It is fire. It's great. You know, I skimmed over that part when I read through the whole thing, so I didn't actually... Yeah, I was falling on fresh ears, and it was a delight. Yeah, and I think he goes on to explain kind of a little bit more in depth, but he's saying that, like, when you presuppose that your own race is inherently superior to another... First of all, that uh, that idea is just completely bizarre. Right. I have no... uh, I have no idea how you can rationalize that. Yeah, well, I think part of it isn't irrational. Like a lot of right. it is like culture, like the way that you grow up. Yeah. Um, it's like if I think back to like my hometown, there when it was first kind of developing, um, it was well actually the town over was like slate mining, and there were huge conflicts between. If I'm correct, it was German Germans and um, I'm pretty sure it was Irish. I might get that wrong, and my father would be very. Uh, disappointed in my I know it's definitely Germans but I don't remember who the other group was that lived they literally lived in towns next to each other and there were huge like it was it was like huge basically tensions between the two communities um because there was this idea of like oh like looking down on one another as as like not as good as they were Mm. and that's like but just being raised that way right just being raised to see others as less than you in right. a way that makes it hard to identify within yourself, I think. And in, in thinking about this question, I actually uh, it led me to another question. This is completely like a super easy question. All right, is the image of God? Uh, does that have like uh, skin color? Is it, you know, does it have an ethnicity? Does it have a, a cultural background? The answer is no. Right. Right. Imago dei for my Latin scholars out there. Um, <laughs> It's not rooted in any of those identities. Right? Mm-hmm. The, the identity is B 
being God's created being. And in Genesis, we specifically see stewardship over the earth being one of the primary indications of what it means to actually be yeah. in the image of God. And, you know, no, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, the stewardship yeah. of the earth is a property of your being because God has made it so. And I think it's also really interesting to, when you're thinking about who God is in like the characteristics that we know about God, um, it's like, he's, he's the defender of the poor. He mm -hmm. is impartial. He like loves the fatherless. Um, there are all these, like these expressions to define who God is. Um, like loving the, like loving the foreigner residing with you, like all these commands that we have that are reflective of who God is as a person. And you're thinking, oh, if we're the image of God, this really does speak in two ways. One, we're supposed, like we, we can't think that another human isn't worthy of respect. Mm -hmm. But two, if we are truly to represent God, if we're supposed, if we are to be his image bearers, then we also, we too should uphold those same characters, characteristics. I think uh, that provides a good transition, actually, to the second point, because, I mean, you mentioned loving the foreigner in mm -hmm. your own land. Jesus says the first greatest commandment is... To love your neighbor as yourself. No, to love God, my goodness. <laughs> and the second I, is to love your neighbor as I, yourself. I did that just to see it. Not just to see, but I, I was hoping you would catch that I asked for the, the most important. Yes, the, yes, most, the, the first, most important the most is important. love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, heart, and soul. And um, strength. Yes, sorry. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second is to love yes. your neighbor as yourself. And so that's the second argument that Keller puts here. And I mean, it's not just Keller. I think so in, in looking in through Wayne Grudem's ethics, he has he has a few more arguments, but he I mean, the second one I think for him is the image of God. The third one is to love your neighbor as yourself. So yeah. I mean it's it's not just Tim Keller here. I mean No, it's yeah, it's it's, I mean, yeah, they're in agreement. <laughs> they read the same Bible. Oh my word. Which I think is especially important because if you're, if we're thinking about where and why, like where, when Jesus is talking about like, go and love your neighbor, mm -hmm. that's when he talks about the, the Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan like right. right after that. That is, that is the illuminating example right yeah that is the for, context because because the question is like and who is my neighbor that's right. the question who is my neighbor and then jesus is, goes and gives the parable of the good samaritan where the neighbor is is the one who's other who, who is, is the other yeah um and so if that's not like i don't know how to make how that can be any more clear mm -hmm. um any clearer to yeah really express the fact that your neighbor is the person who you're like made uncomfortable by, I guess could be one way of putting it, or who is different, like considered an other who is different. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's another, there was a statement put out by InterVarsity. Um, there's a statement by Evangelical Campus Ministries on Racism, Anti-Semitism, and White Supremacy. It's kind of a long one, but that's, you can Google it if you want to. And they talk about how, like, racist ideologies and systems deny scripture's affirmation of the equal value and dignity of all people who are created in the image of God, which we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, these ideologies expressly deny Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, and I think that's that's the key one. Well, I, they're all key. But that's part of the key one is it's not it's not like we have to read the Bible and extrapolate the fact that we're supposed to love others no, it's... it's like it is the command we are given. Yes. We're given two commands. 
love God, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Basically, anyone who's like you consider not just I mean not just basic. It is anyone and everyone. Oh yeah, right. Because I don't think I don't think the Good Samaritan example is meant to say. Right, right. It's not meant. Yeah, it's not meant to say that like. Yeah. yeah, like the people who are similar to you, they're not your neighbor. Right, right. Only the people who are different from you are your neighbor. Yeah, it's just meant to express the fact that when you think of neighbor, you think about your friends and the people you like. Right. And you're just saying it's more than that. Yeah, it's not just the people who um, live next to you, who you bring cookies to or cupcakes. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the, the people on the other side of town, it's the people in a different country, it's everyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Which then brings us to the third point of Tim Keller, which is. Why is, sin, why is racism a sin? It's because of the new creation. This is one of my favorites, I think. I think this is especially important as Christians because yeah. it's basically the foundation of why... Like, not the foundation, but the result of the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our mm-hmm. faith is that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came, like, came and died for our sins. Mm-hmm. And the result of that is that we are new creations. We are made new by his blood. Um, this is an interesting point, though, in that I think there's really two ways to approach it. I'm sorry, I'm not looking at Carter no, right to know whether he does this. But there's kind of the present new creation, right? Being mm-hmm. new creation on earth, which is exclusive to Christians. Yeah. So what we've looked at already is racism is a sin for anyone. Yeah. Based on the image of God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because those are universal ethical maxims uh, given by God. This one is specific to Christians. This is looking at why Why do Christians, why is sin a race, why, why is racism a sin from a, a strictly Christian viewpoint? And that's saying we are new creations on earth right now. Yeah. There's also the new creation at the end of days. And that I think is universal because again, we're looking at a universal kind of event mm-hmm. so i don't know if, if we want to use that distinction at yeah all. no he actually talks about that he talks about both so he talks about the first part which is we are a new creation referencing like galatians three twenty eight. there is neither jew nor gentile mm-hmm. neither slave nor free nor is there male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus um and so there's that aspect of it which mm-hmm. is because we are because we're christians we are basically united with all other christians um right this is not i think we've talked about this before it's not saying you know we're all one homogenous mass that looks thinks feels talks everything exactly the same yeah if anything he's saying the exact opposite like if anything he's saying that i think oh i have to find the quote because i really liked it um oh it might actually be in the next section I might take it anyway from for this section, um, but yeah, the one one thing he's saying is like in the, this is in the next section he talks about, so we'll loop back to it. But he says, for example, so many of the ways we do things in church, how we express emotions, how we sing, how long the services, how we talk to one another, are merely cultural preferences, not prescriptions of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can loop back to what he talks about a little bit more with that later. But I think that is a good imagery for the fact that um, one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that it does bring together people who are radically different yeah. in terms of just their upbringing, like culture, etc. And you can all worship God together. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he'll talk about more later on is that like sometimes that will make you uncomfortable because you're doing something that's out of your comfort zone. Um, where, like You might worship in one way and it might be 
really weird to experience someone worshiping God in a way that's foreign, like basically equivalent of like foreign to you. But we're still united with them. Like you kind of have to push through some of that weirdness, uncomfort. I yeah. don't know how to put Dis- like, discomfort. I discomfort. Think, yeah. um, and so there is that kind of like here on earth, all of us have been united, all Christians have been united by our relationship to God. But there is also, as you were saying, that looking forward right. and to that, a new creation. I mean, to, to tie the two ideas together, uh, it's so cool. Sh- right, going back to the verse in Galatians, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, man nor woman, all of that. It's not saying all of these identities are just swept away, right? It's saying we still have these identities, mm-hmm. but uh, we're united in one thing. And it's like a little teaser. It's like a teaser of what heaven will be like. Right. And because in, I, I, maybe I need to look at the, the verses here to see if it's in here. I think it is. Do you mean Revelation? Yes. Revelation yeah. 7, 9. Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing over the throne and before the Lamb. And that's, that's the image we're supposed to get in the mm-hmm. Galatians verse. It's yeah. not that, it's not one of homogeneity. Yeah. It's one of a, a great plethora of diversity, all united in, as Revelation has it, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, all praising the same God, you know, all respecting, revering, praising, bringing mm-hmm. honor and glory to the one true God. Yeah, which is, and I, I think it also speaks to the fact that the differences in culture, etc., race, except like ethnicity, are not going to be wiped away like they're not meaningless yeah. right they're, they're not they're not bad right yeah they're yeah they're they're not bad um i think i was trying to find the right um article but there's this article called jesus is jesus is not colorblind by the gospel coalition and mm-hmm. um one of the quotes like they're basically saying our ethnicities and cultures aren't accidents um and as acts 17 26 through 27 makes clear they also shape our life experiences according to god's intentions um and so some use galatians 328 to argue that our ethnic identity disappears once we're united in christ yet this is clearly not what paul is communicating as he himself so deeply values his identity identity as an ethnic ethnic jew that he wrote he would rather personally be cut off from christ than to see his people those of his own race without christ um and so they continue on with when one person tells a person of another ethnicity, I don't see color, they might as well be saying, I don't see you, intended or not. Um, it's ironic that so many of us want to avoid seeing our differences when God goes out of his way to call attention to our differences. Galatians 3.28, Ephesians 2.14-16, Revelations 5.9 and Revelations 7.9 are just some of the passages where God calls attention to our ethnic and cultural differences in order to demonstrate the unifying power of Christ and his gospel. We are not the same, we are different, and that's what makes our unity in Christ all the more glorious. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really, yeah, I guess there just is so much beauty in that, right? Of people of all nations, all tongues, all tribes coming together yeah being united as one where what will be like what will disappear which is what tim keller speaks to is he says i'm just gonna read him because it's so good um these remarkable visions of the new of the final new creation show that our distinct peoplehoods and nationalities do mean something they're so important that they will be carried over not eradicated into the new creation they will be purified of all the sinful distortions just as our bodies with their distinctions will be brought in and purified of all weakness and decay it is this future 
this new creation that Christians must bear witness to and practice now to the greatest degree that we can. The Bible shows us that one of the most important features of that new creation is to practice equality of the races and the healing of their relationships, because in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. I think that's powerful. Very powerful. Which then leads us to Tim Keller's last point, which we were trying to figure out the best way to phrase yeah. <laughs> because Tim Keller is reformed. <laughs> yes. And so he phrases it in a way that would not probably not be accepted by uh, a lot of our Catholic brothers and sisters um, and Orthodox, I guess, either. And so the way the way I think we should say it is we're not we're not justified by our identity. Yeah. So we said, yeah. So we're not. Yes, we're not saved by our identity. I think that's a good way of yeah, putting it. It's, it's not your skin color. It's not your nationality. It's not your ethnicity. None of that has any bearing on Jesus dying for your sins. Mm-hmm. And I think this is important because um, I think as humans, right, it's mm-hmm. easy to make yourself feel better by putting other people down intentionally or unintentionally i think this is like i'm sure you've all heard it if you've ever had to do i don't know if y'all had to do like the anti-bullying things in school did you ever have those like i did i don't remember them very well well (laughs) him (laughs) (laughs) one of the key things that i learned in mine i'm not a bully am i i don't think so (laughs) Um, but one of the key things that i learned in in that or that i took away from the many of them um was this idea that a lot of times people bully because they're insecure in mm-hmm. one way or another. Okay, yeah, yeah, and in yeah. order to cope with their own, or not cope, but like in order to make sense of themselves and feel better about themselves. Right, in order to like pull themselves up. Yeah, they do it by pushing others down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that's because like other people are pushing them down in their life. Yeah, And so it's their way of kind of taking control and making themselves, you know, feel better unfortunate thing about sin but i do think that that's a kind of a perfect imagery for for this um where i think it's it's easy for christians or anyone really to intentionally or unintentionally make themselves like define their moral worthiness Mm -hmm. based on something in their identity as opposed to christ and christ alone and so you were about to say yeah i mean that quote you read just earlier about kind of our, our cultural, mm-hmm. the way we worship God in church. Um, I must say, I you know, that's that's one that uh, has been rather personal to me recently because, you know, back home I go to a non-denominational church. It's very, pretty modern. Um, we're not seeing like screamo, but we, uh, you know. It's, good, good contemporary Christian music. Yeah, good contemporary Christian worship. Um, there are some hymns sometimes, but it's still with, you know, with the drum set, with mm-hmm. the electric guitar, with the bass, you know, it's, it's contemporary. The, yeah. you know, the, the head pastor wears a t-shirt most days, sometimes a, a polo or a button down, never tucked in, always wearing jeans, you know, it's casual. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what I was used to. You know, I, I really enjoyed that. And then I come here and Jonathan <laughs> naturally, good Presbyterian. Um, so we go to a Presbyterian church and it's, it's a lot different. Yeah. You know, there's p- it's pretty much only piano, sometimes organ. Um, the vocals aren't mic'd very loud. And it's very different. A lot All more... All hymns. <laughs> right. It's it's kind of kind of what you would imagine a, 
traditional service to be more like traditional a lot of yes service. a lot of liturgic mm-hmm. a lot of presbyterian liturgy which i was completely unfamiliar with um and it was like you know it was like getting spun around and the first yeah. the first couple times i went i to be completely honest i was i didn't like it i was like i like this is not how i worship mm-hmm. and um now though i i really do look forward to it i enjoy the hymns I enjoy the piano especially. Um, the, I'm, I'm getting familiar with the liturgy. It's not necessarily something that I, I still consider, you know, my own. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. this is me, but it's something that I can appreciate for what it is. Yeah, you're less uncomfortable going. Right. And you can... And I enjoy it. Yeah. Even though I can, I can still say I would rather go to my home church, but I can also say... I really do enjoy going to yeah. the Presbyterian church. Yeah. So much so that when we get back on campus, I think I'm going to go to a Presbyterian church there. Oh, Jonathan will be proud. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just kind of personal application of yeah. what this is in my own life. And this is, you know, this is an example of denominationalism. Yeah. And not Which, so much race, but, I mean, it applies there as well. Yeah, and I think Tim Keller expands pretty well. Um he basically is saying that like when you rely on your own achievements or pedigree or behavior more than the justifying work of Christ for your sense of significance and security, and he himself is pulling from Lovelace. Uh, Lovelace argues it makes you radically insecure. You need to bolster. We need to bolster our sense that we are really good, lovable, worthy people because at our deepest level we know we are not. That insecurity shows itself in a variety of forms, arrogance and pride, self-hatred and shame, or defensive criticism of of others. One bitter and common fruit from this failure to grasp grace salvation and make it our heart's operating principle is racism. For most people then, race and culture are a kind of self-righteousness. We think of ourselves as the good ones, not like those those people over there. That means we tend to make our cultural preferences, which are no more than that preferences, into moral absolutes and badges of honor. For example, so many of the thing so many of the ways we do things in church are merely cultural preferences, not prescriptions of scripture. And yet, without a deep grasp of grace, we've become wedded to our cultural styles, styles and patterns as the right way to be a Christian, and we despise other cultural patterns. We secretly, or not so secretly, despise people of races and cultures or politics different from our own as a way to patch up a righteousness of our own. Again, solid fire. Right? Oh, <laughs> it's, I think, and I think this really does get at the core issue, which I think is an important thing to, when we're talking about racism as a sin from a christian perspective is what it ultimately gets at is a heart issue right of our hearts not being in alignment with god and us seeking something other than god Mm -hmm. um and so in this case we're seeking to make ourselves worthy apart from god which spoiler alert that's impossible Mm -hmm. um but it's also the tent like the natural tendency of humans and so one way it manifests itself is in racism but it can also manifest itself in other like in other forms and that's why the bible is against all forms of othering right not just the ones that are clear in it because you know not only does god see us all as his creation made in his image not only are we to therefore treat each other with love regardless but also you know we're were brought to him regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, he yeah. he he doesn't only choose people of one category to justify. He doesn't just love one group of people. Right. He loves everyone. 
much more than we can. And I think that's why it's, it's always good to think of ourselves as um, failing, failing <laughs> to live up to that standard, yeah. right? Because I think... I think this is where you should read his caution. Okay. Because yeah. Tim brought up the caution. That, yeah, Tim Keller does have a caution that I think is very important. Um, yeah. Because I think it's an easy tendency kind of on the flip side. So even, even while we denounce the sin of racism other sins, right? Um, Tim Keller says, the impression then is that racists or those who are indifferent to the effects of the social structures that support racial inequality are just morally inferior to the rest of us. And that is dangerous. Those of us denouncing racism can begin to feel inherently superior and lose a sense of our common fallen humanity. We know from the Holocaust that whenever one group begins to look at another group of people as somehow willfully morally inferior than the rest of us, it becomes a justification for exclusion and abuse. If, however, we see that racism is just one way, just one way, though a horrendous way, to establish a righteousness and identity for our, of our own apart from God's salvation, then we can keep the necessary sense of being part of a common fallen humanity. So... He uses this term common fallen humanity to say, basically, it doesn't matter what your sin is. Mm -hmm. uh, you're still a sinner. And so, you know, even while we denounce certain sins, we still have to recognize it doesn't make us righteous. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't make us any less of a sinner. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, what's the, what's the verse about um, take the wood, the wooden log out of your own eye before, oh, before inspecting yeah. your brother's mm -hmm. eye? You know, it's. It's like that, you know, while racism is, it's a, it's a horrible sin. Um, it's not the only sin and it's, it's, um, you know, denouncing it isn't, it doesn't make you any more righteous. Yeah. That isn't to say don't denounce it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's saying do denounce it, but recognize that in denouncing it, you're yep. not saying that because you don't sin in that way, or at least not. Or you don't think you do. You don't think you do doesn't mean that you are morally superior to someone yeah. who does. And I think that's especially good when you're, like when you are kind of fighting against sin within the church, is when you are coming at it from a perspective of, no, I'm also a sinner. Mm -hmm. I think it is much easier to relate and empathize. Yes. With people in a way that's helpful to help them change, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's... This is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but that's why, like, when we're told to um, rebuke Christians, basically, like, when, when we have another brother and sister living in sin and we're called to rebuke them, the very key tenet of that is it's supposed to be done out of love. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think part of the reason why is, like, it's hard enough being rebuked. And that's not to say that there aren't times to do it. Like, there are times to do yes. it. But um, we are obviously sinful, and having your sin revealed to you is hard. Um but it's even harder when, or it's harder to expect someone to change, I guess is one way of putting it, when it's not being approached out of love. Right. Which sounds so countercultural, right? You're basically saying this sin is awful, but also still approach it out of love. Mm -hmm. But that's the Bible, countercultural. <laughs> <laughs> Forever and always, mm -hmm. until the end of days. Yeah. I, I have not, oh. I do have one thing to add. So we talked at the beginning about covering this question. Is the Bible racist? Oh, yeah. Um, so this is kind of, I mean, it, it feels like um, whiplash going to this topic because, we, you know, we've been talking about how race, racism is a sin. 
but just real brief um one of the arguments for why um why slavery was justified it's called the the curse of ham does tim keller talk about it no this is something that grudem talked about anyway after noah's ark mm-hmm. is this how you got onto the <laughs> is this not no no okay well anyway grisolita has been I really think we need to make a road trip to the Creation Museum. So if anyone wants to come with me, I'm road tripping. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Noah's Ark. I want to see how big it is. I want to like experience that. Oh, that's valid. So anyway, I was just, Tim was taking a long, I came prepped for this meeting, having researched ahead of time for the first time in a long time. And I napped all afternoon. And Tim napped all afternoon. And so the first hour, Tim was catching up on some research yeah. and I was um, going through their online exhibitions. It was a great time. But yes, no, that's not how I got to it, but continue. Anyway, so after after Noah's Ark, uh, there's this whole ordeal where Noah gets drunk and he's in his oh, tent I naked. This. You didn't understand. This is one of my least favorite passages in the entire Bible. I'm so disappointed in Noah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's a reminder of his sin, but continue. Yeah. And, Come and, on, man. And uh, one of his sons, mm-hmm. Ham... I think it's Ham. Yeah. Sees so. sees him in the tent and goes and tells the other two brothers, Shem and Japheth. Japheth or Japheth? I don't mm-hmm. know. It starts with a J, ends in F. Has a J I don't think anyone will get super upset if you anyway, correct him in our emails. And these two brothers, instead of doing what Ham does and just you know going and looking and being like, oh, look at him, they avert their eyes and take and cover him up. Yeah. Right. And afterwards, Noah, when he finds out what Ham did, he curses him. And the curse is specifically directed at one of his sons called mm-hmm. Canaan, who becomes the ancestor of uh, a lot of the Canaanite peoples, right? And the curse is basically like, you'll be, I don't remember, I have to pull it up. Do, 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 do. I don't think so because if it's not, I think it's under fair use, oh. fair use laws because I'm singing it. Okay, so so the um, the curse is this: may Canaan be cursed by serving the offspring of Shem and Japheth. It is Japheth. There's an H in it. Nice. Um, that might not be the exact quote. I was just reading off of Wikipedia. So, and so one of the arguments was that this was like these the Canaanites went on to become kind of the ancestors of northern African peoples, and then you know that spread south, and so you have this idea that the curse of Ham is actually kind of a, a darker skin color to actually be black. Grudem says, and I think this is a really good argument he says that actually when you look at the scripture it says that the ancestors of north africa were descendants not of ham or not of canaan right ham's fourth son but they are actually descendants of his other sons mm-hmm. so the curse didn't apply to them moreover i think it's much more biblical to view the curse of canaan as applying to the israelites who then come and sweep through canaan right you have mm-hmm. um the great conquests of that land and they they i mean they ravage those peoples so that's my response yeah and also like on top of that is also the idea that 
even if that were the case, it's void under the New Testament, like under the New Covenant. Yeah. Yeah, like no Jew nor Gentile applies. Like that principle applies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so even taking it, it's just inconsistent to take it that way, right? Not only is it untrue to the immediate context, but it's untrue to the entire course and flow of the Bible. And I think this probably falls pretty well into our conversation last week about how a lot of the, a lot of early theologians, I guess is what you'd call them, uh, 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 my goodness, founding fathers of Christian faith, I don't know, what do you want to call them? I don't know what the right word is, um, were very much like did not believe that women were of equal value, worth, and dignity. Um, and obviously that's not a, like not yeah. a belief anymore. <laughs> um, and I do think that, that honestly, I think a lot of that really does end ultimately speaking to the nature of human sinfulness and the desire mm-hmm. to have superior like superiority over one another and you know that's Um, that's completely not to look down on them because you know we certainly don't have the perfect understanding of the bible either right exactly and there will come a day when you know even within our life lifetimes we could look back on the beliefs we hold now and realize that they're actually out of line with the bible Mm -hmm. so that's all i've got that's all i've got this was a good conversation it was good i like tim keller tim keller he's solid yeah. That's like Wayne Grudem, though. You're just really going for all the Reformed theologians <laughs> here. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, what can I say? Reformed Baptists over here. I'll be completely honest. Well, oh, you being the Reformed Baptist. I'm the Reformed Baptist. I thought you said... So is Grudem, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but Tim Keller isn't. No, Tim Keller isn't. I'll have to, I'll have to convert it. Oh, nice. Yeah, you do that. You're going to start going to Redeemer New York next year and this. I'll find Tim Keller. You're like... I'm coming for you, hey, Tim, Tim Keller. I'm Tim, too. <laughs> We do share a name. We share our initials, actually. Actually, I don't know what his middle name is, but TK. What is Timothy Keller's? Oh wait, does he is he a Timothy? Yeah, there's no such thing as a Tim. It's literally on the on the article we were reading. It's Timothy Keller at the top. Uh, uh but uh, I just want to know his middle name. It's from Greek. J. He's a J. Ugh. T J K. That does not fit um. well together. Yes. I'm so wow. totally fine with that. Are you going to look down wrong. on him now? No. <laughs> no I, yeah, we've learned something no, We just today. spent like 50 minutes talking about not looking down on people. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yes, well. We love that you listened to this episode. Yes, thank you. Um, keep listening, please. Uh, if there's any topics you want us to talk about, send us a message. We'll see what we can do. On email, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, if you joined. At this point, I really hope you know what all of our usernames are. But if not, our Instagram and Facebook are at the Good Fight Pod. No, at the Good Fight. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Pod. It is Pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, at the Good Fight Pod, and then our Twitter is at the is the Good Fight Pod. Oh my word. At at. Good Fight Pod. Yeah. And. Our email is witnessthegoodfight at gmail.com. I'm glad you cover that every week because I feel like I've almost forgotten them. I mean, clearly, clearly I am. I think, yeah. It's hard to, it's the, they get the, I get confused with the Twitter. And it the, is weird. You know what, from now on, you're you're in charge of intros. You're also in charge of all of the social oh, the media, social media? contacts. Okay. Sounds good. Let's see if we remember that next week. I'll remember it because I just won't do anything. Oh, okay. It's actually out of laziness. No, it's not. Uh, it's not. <laughs> that's also a sin. Uh, we'll talk about that some other time. 
We hope to see you next week, and... I look forward to seeing you next week, speaking to you next week. Yeah. I hope you... I look forward to you listening next week. I look forward to seeing you. That's a little creepy. How are you finding them? (laughs) Well, on that note, um, now that you know that Tim apparently has some skills on tracking you down, then you'll find him one day. Um, I I did not imply that. I did not imply that. For the record. Okay. This is getting long. Adios, friends. Goodbye. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on The Good Fight, where campus meets Christ.